0: Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Artificial intelligence is no longer a concept in a faraway future. We use it every day when we ask Siri for directions or when our cameras automatically identify and focus on human faces. As helpful as the technology may be, there are ethical and legal questions about AI. And Native artists and technology experts wanna make sure Native work and ideas are portrayed in an appropriate and accurate way. We're talking about developing indigenous relationships with A.I. That's coming up after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A Northeast Nebraska farming operation is starting the new year with an even bigger commitment to conservation, and they're hoping other farms take note. Deborah Van Fleet
2: reports. Cover cropping and organic farming are already practiced by the Winnebago tribe's Ho-Chunk Farms, and through the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service EQUIP program, they'll be adding more conservation practices this year. Farm senior manager Aaron LaPointe says they've enrolled all 3,500 of their irrigated acres into a technology driven water conservation program known as the Water Smart Initiative.
3: There's lots of equipment that will inform you on your groundwater levels, which alerts you when to irrigate at the optimal time using the least amount of water. And also, if you're overwatering, that brings more of an issue when you start talking about leaching of different pesticides and herbicides and getting things into our groundwater.
2: The NRCS shares the upfront costs of water meters, soil moisture probes, weather stations, and inspecting irrigation pumps to be sure they're functioning properly. LaPointe says they're confident this will be a good long-term investment, both for water and soil health. LaPointe explains they've also enrolled all their irrigated acres into another NRCS program to monitor their herbicide and pesticide use.
3: It allows you to efficiently use a certain amount of chemical that you need to kill weeds without overdoing it because any excess that you spray could eventually end up in groundwater or causing other issues and other things.
2: Ho-Chunk Farms is part of the Winnebago tribe's Economic Development Corporation. It will plant nearly 7,000 acres this year. 1,000 will be cover crops, and another 1,000 will have organically certified crops. LaPointe says they hope their successes will encourage other farmers to take a look at what the NRCS offers.
3: We personally might sit here and say, well, is our 3,500 acres really making a difference? But if you start inspiring more people to do it, now you're starting to make some real change. And if there's somebody that's going to kind of set the trend and inspire people to maybe move in that direction, I think it should be us.
2: I'm Deborah Van Fleet.
1: Filmmakers of Imagining the Indian the Fight Against Native American Mascotting joined demonstrators Saturday at the Kansas City football team's playoff game to advocate for the team to change its name and end the appropriation of Native culture. Producer Yancey Byrne says the experience showed him the importance of educating the public about the fight against Native American mascots. He says he witnessed people who came by the protest who may be open to dialogue, but says there was also a different side.
4: There's a folks who maybe don't understand the issue, but are just not happy and are just willing to be awful. And then further along on that spectrum are folks who just really have malice in their heart. And it, it's it's incredible that so many folks who... I think the ones who have malice in their heart probably understand less than the ones who are just on the other side of the spectrum who just don't understand anything because there's no reason to have malice, especially towards the folks who are protesting. It was a peaceful, nonviolent protest. All the protesters for Not In Our Honor are asking for is to think about the issue, to, to change the name, to stop the chop. And there's no reason that the folks they're encountering should should bring you know violence towards them, and that's what they're doing, and it, it was incredible to see.
1: The documentary examines the movement to end the use of Native American names, logos, and mascots in the world of sports and beyond. It was screened in Kansas City last week. The group Not In Our Honor hosts demonstrations during the NFL season outside the Kansas City football team's home games. The Kansas City football team has stated the team is continuing dialogue with the Native community to identify ways to educate and raise awareness of Native American. Native American NASA astronaut Nicole Mann took part in the first spacewalk of 2023 on Friday alongside a Japanese astronaut. They spent more than seven hours working outside the International Space Station. Mann is the first Native American woman to go to space. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
4: A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America calling, I'm Sean Spruce. You already interact with artificial intelligence when you ask Siri for directions or scroll through TikTok videos, but AI is fast becoming a place for writing music, visual arts, and other creative work. That brings up a lot of questions about copyright protections for native artists. There's also concerns over appropriation, misrepresentation, and stereotypes. If you're still a little confused about what AI is, here's an example of what AI can do. We fed some prompts and keywords about Blood Quantum into an AI website. Here's what it gave us Blood Quantum is immensely important for tribal sovereignty as it creates a sense of belonging and connection between individuals, tribes, and nations. It also helps maintain strong ties between different generations and establish cultural continuity within the community. Moreover, it enables the preservation of Native American culture by encouraging its overall knowledge transmission within families and tribes over time. A machine wrote that paragraph, and as you heard, it's vague at best and has some concepts that could be worded better. In this hour, we'll talk with Native people who are using AI to their advantage and working to establish a better relationship with the technology. You can join us too. How do you see artificial intelligence working or not working for you in the future? If you're an artist, what do you think about AI's ability to make art? Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us first from Vancouver, British Columbia is Michael Runningwolf. He's a PhD student studying computer science and a language advocate using AI. He's Lakota and Cheyenne. Michael, welcome to Native America Calling.
5: Thank you for welcoming me.
0: Michael, artificial intelligence has been around for decades. Can you kick us off today with a straightforward explanation of what AI actually is? Yeah,
5: that's a really good question. Um, So I would begin by starting with the definition of what an algorithm is, and and I'll explain how this uh, that might that'll probably explain this best. Um, So in an algorithm, it's a computer program that has rules and processes that accomplish uh, tasks like. Um, and these rules and processes, you can think of like, say, peyote stitching. You know, when you're weaving the, the beads around the, your, your pen and you have to follow rules, you have to stitch it quite uh, um, correctly and then properly. And of course, um, if you don't do it, it either falls apart or your design doesn't come out, work out, which happens all the time for me. My wife's much better at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, if you think of this as an algorithm, um, in AI and artificial intelligence, um the machine learns how to do these rules and processes using training data so so it it would be entirely possible to train an ai without human intervention to learn how to uh, do PO stitching using training data and it would take a lot of data honestly and a lot of different um, examples to train a, a robot to do this
0: okay so it is an algorithm that algorithm is fed off, off data inputs, and then it creates rules, it creates paths. Now, you know, I think a lot of us are familiar with AI, like we mentioned earlier, uh, the way these algorithms work on our phones, how social media content is, is pushed in our direction, friend suggestions on Facebook, all that kind of stuff. We hear a lot about that, but what are some ways that AI uh, might be being used that, that we're not necessarily aware of, Michael?
5: I would say... Probably virtually every facet of modern life is affected by artificial intelligence. And and I guess I would say more of a question of where is it not being used? Um, often you will see, like even like in your TikTok feed or even your Facebook feed, there's an algorithm there. And originally they were handwritten by the rules using statistical, you know, processes. Um, now it's just, Virtually entirely uh, AI based Um, the AI is uh, looking at your behavior data and then deciding um, Which things best are suited for you and similarly you see a lot of an industry uh, Like car design how wheels are being designed the airflow dynamics are also being augmented with artificial intelligence Um, and I, I think like you mentioned at the top, um, I'm very interested in applying some of these technologies for our community support for within indigenous communities.
0: Well, well tell us more, Michael, about how you use AI in your work.
5: Yeah. So as you mentioned, I am a PhD student at McGill university, which is in Montreal, Though I am an American, I grew up in good old fashioned Montana boy. (laughs) Um, but I'm up there doing research on language reclamation using artificial intelligence. Um, and the 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 key technical problem i'm trying to solve is make these systems compatible with indigenous languages but also do it in a way that's respectful and uh, promotes indigenous um, uh, data sovereignty and allows communities to participate in the artificial intelligence uh, creation and design
0: well tell us more uh, about how these algorithms are created how These machines are able to learn this information. What kind of programming or or tech specifically is behind the AI that you're using? Yeah, I
5: think so. At a fundamental level, and I'm just going to spit out some technical terms. You don't need to remember necessarily. Um, So, Fundamentally, the technology is based upon uh, these systems called tensors. Um, and you can think of it like a large array of data, and that means nothing to you. You can think of it like it's just a big, you know how on Excel, you have a lot of data within these tables. You know, That's how the AI learns. So when you put in data, it's technically called a vector, which is just a mathematical term for a lot of data. And a lot of data could be like a column on Excel or a tabular data. And when they're working with voice AI, what we do is we take uh, you know mp3 or wave file so when you re- record in of indigenous language say lakota or my mother's language cheyenne and we convert it into a a, a vector just a numerical representation of that and then we we then reassigned it says so this blob of data corresponds to the word say hopa which is you know soup or uh, Wahompi in lakota and through enough examples, we could train it that way. But it takes a lot of data. It's a non-trivial task.
0: And what is the goal uh, with these language programs or products that you're working on? What is it ultimately that you want AI to accomplish?
5: My, My fundamental goal is to enable these technologies for as many language communities as possible in North America, as you know, Many of our languages are facing the risk of going to sleep, and I believe that AI will play a role in the future continuity of these of our languages. And but I don't intend it to be a replacement. I think it would be an integral educational tool. Be, for example, being able to talk to your phone, talk to Siri, talk to you know Google Assistant, using you know Lakota or Diné or you know, Choctaw, and having an intimate relationship with your technology in the language in which you speak. And, if, and the risk is if we do not do this, we're being forced to speak English, speak you know French or German um, on these technologies, and we'll be left out and excluded from these technologies. I believe that it's going to play a bigger and bigger role. Like you said, what if you could speak, create those images that you put on the website using your indigenous language? Because otherwise you're speaking English, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, is there a risk at some point that that AI could just, uh, well, like you mentioned, it's not a replacement, but I I just sometimes think of like other languages. Like it used to be if somebody went to another country, they might take a class or or, or get a Rosetta Stone course or something so they could learn that language. But now you can just take Google Translate. You walk into a restaurant in a foreign country and you can use Google Translate to communicate with a server, to order what you want on the menu. I mean, I, I feel like in some ways, like, People don't even need to learn other languages. Is that, is that
2: accurate?
5: No, I think, well, okay, number one, the technology barely works. I'm in Montreal. <clears throat> it's majority French or Quebecois speaking uh, community, and the technologies are too slow. <laughs> it's really, okay. like, I tried that. I tried that. Like, you go there and try to order <laughs> your bagel in Montreal bagel, and it, it's terrible. It will get better. I have confidence. But on the other side of it, it's actually genuinely good for you as a human, even if it's, you know, uh, even if it, if you learn one other language other than your mother tongue or whatever language you speak now, you're generally healthier. You know, IHS, Indian Health Service has a bunch of research on this. If you learn another language, any language, you on average earn 5% more income over their lifetime. Um, and so there's economic and health benefits for learning a second language. Even if, if it's a language that not very many people speak, like Cheyenne or Lakota are your own language. Um, and I think what what the technology I want to build is that where, you're, where you are able to put on a VR nerd, virtual reality nerd, actually, um, is you put on the virtual reality headset and you transport it to you know the prairie, Lakota country, and being able to speak Lakota in that environment and to replicate that, that experience of being immersed in a culture and the language because, often the best way to learn German or French is to go to Paris or go to Mewsken or go to, you know, Berlin. And I want to replicate that for, because not all of us are able to go home and speak our languages and that's using AI has the potential to enable that.
0: Okay. Michael, now which you are, are explaining to me, this is what I think of when AR, what you just described, like putting on a virtual reality headset, and just either going back in time or or going to some remote location. Like like you mentioned, you're a a self-described good old fashioned Montana boy going to some area there and interacting with other native people and communicating and and learning the language. That's like that that brave new world that is so often the metaverse and and all these other uh, phrases and these concepts that that we hear so much about in the news. And uh, it all sounds really, really exciting but it also sounds in some ways uh, a little bit scary, uh, a little bit uncertain. So we're gonna talk more about artificial intelligence and how it is being used uh, amongst native people. Our next guest is gonna join us right after break. Her name is Amelia Winger-Bearskin, and she's gonna talk about artificial intelligence in native art. Anybody with a question, phone lines are open, 1-800-99-NATIVE, give us a call, we'll be right back. A new study finds the disproportionate incarceration rates for Native Americans is not slowing down. The study's authors say some tribal justice systems are contributing to the problem when they could be a key part of the solution. On the next Native America Calling, we'll revisit what the study says is over incarceration of Native Americans and how tribes can help.
2: Clesti j do hina da ni he Medica ja he sotor digo whale. Clesti doe la y tido gesti u he dla e. We juck da hug na oni ya wea a yellanutanadega unuxest a lenasca dugi medicate uniesti, uni na esti, e jeko well di j nesti he a get a no se medicare a la medicade una darga
0: You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. What do you think about artificial intelligence? Do you see its value both in the present and future? Join the conversation about our relationship with AI, artificial intelligence. We're at 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Speaking with us now from Gainesville, Florida is Amelia winger Bearskin. She's an artist and technologist, the Banks Endowed Chair and Associate Professor of Artificial Intelligence and the Arts at the Digital Worlds Institute at the University of Florida. She's from the Seneca Cayuga Nation of Oklahoma. Amelia, thanks for joining us today.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Amelia, artificial intelligence in art. Tell us more. How does it work?
6: well you know a lot of really interesting innovations have been happening over the last five years Um, we see gans and deep learning models where people are now able through a couple of clicks of their mouse or some typing into their keyboards to generate images or text. I really liked that passage you read at the beginning of the hour um, from probably maybe chat GPT, uh, where you could type in some prompts or ask some questions and get something back. Um, But as you know, Michael said earlier, how is it doing that? It's, scraping the internet for text. It's it's looking at our Twitter. It's looking at all of our publications. Actually, some of my writing is actually part of the initial model of GPT. So a lot of my writing is in there um, in the early training model of that. So it's taking writing that's not made by machines. It's made by people. It's made by people like me and you. Um, and then generating more text and more images from those things. So um, I like to remind my students that you know AI is always and still made by people. We haven't yet met the singularity where ai is just making itself yet it's still generating new things based off of um you know variations of what it finds from the internet now it's important to remember that a lot of like although i you know allowed my writing to be put into the gpt model um and i'm sure a lot of my images have been scraped from the internet that are part of mid journey or stable diffusion or these other image-based ai systems not has consented to have their or their writing the part of training data. So we are seeing a lot of artists uh, pushing back and saying, you know, I think that this work looks like my work that obviously took me a long time to make, even though the AI models also took a long time to make. Um, there is this idea of consent or copyright, which you alluded to a little bit in the beginning of the hour.
0: Yeah, we did. And it, it brings back memories of, you know, 20 some years ago when. Uh, Napster and, and the whole music industry was completely turned on its head when technology came along and streaming became available and people could download music and of course. Uh, you know, a lot of artists were really upset in terms of the fact that their music could just be transferred and shared without their consent um, with them not being compensated so are, are we seeing something similar in, in the art world now.
6: Absolutely. I I mean, I think there are so many different opinions and I'm very interested to interrogate all of them. I invite my students to chime in. And one of the first questions I usually start out with is what things should AI be used for and what things should it not be used for? And some of my students have come up with ideas of, I don't want AI to make art. I want to make art, right? Of all the things that it could do, maybe it should be doing things that are dangerous for humans, um, or and or it should be doing things that help humans. But making art and making craft, maybe that's something that we enjoy making, that we need to make as part of our um, expression. We've had art ever since humanity has, has been evolving. We've had art and music and writing as a part of the way that we communicate our culture and our cultural values. So maybe it's something that we don't want, Um AI to be a part of? Or if we want AI to be a part of that, can we co create with this tool as humans and non human systems? Can we co create with it? And if it's seen as a tool, how do we use it? Um, It obviously has a lot of limitations now. It it famously can't draw hands or do text very well. And so there are still, you know, we haven't been entirely replaced, I would say, as artists. And as artists, are we gonna use these tools in more a curatorial way, or will we rail against them? I'm thinking about when George Eastman first made the portable camera, you know, the Kodak camera, and it allowed millions of people all over the world to very inexpensively use photography, which up until that point had been something that was very expensive and only specialists were able to use, and people had to pay a lot of money to get their photographic portrait taken, and suddenly anyone could buy a camera and they could um, even develop the film in their own house. They could print it in their own house. Uh, it came very inexpensive and so a lot of people said this is the death of painting. No one will ever paint again. Well, obviously it's in 2023 and people are still painting, <laughs> And but <laughs> it did change what we painted, right? Like it no longer was the epitome of a painter to something photorealistic, which is the word obviously didn't exist, <laughs> but now something that is photorealistic um, is it, a different type of technique and certainly painting didn't appear, but what we saw in response wasn't impressionism and abstract expressionism and a a total evolving uh, nature of painting. And actually, Western painters started looking at indigenous painters. They started looking at African painters. They started saying, what is representation? If it's not just looking exactly as you see with your natural eye, what is it to be expressive? And that was a moment when Western painting actually looked towards other cultures and was deeply inspired by them. And so um, I think, you know, in many of our cultures, we don't necessarily represent um things in the same way that a camera does and that's a beautiful thing so it'll be interesting the rail against how we push against or how we use ai to make new forms hmm
0: and also in addition to just uh you know the impact that it's having on, on just traditional art and people picking up uh paintbrushes and, and clay and other mediums of art i mean amelia do we need to be concerned about just The way AI views or interprets native people and culture, because like, like you mentioned earlier, that uh, passage that we read that we developed from, or we just put keywords in and it gave us this assessment of blood quantum. Uh, And and in some ways it's kind of accurate, but in other ways, it's just, it's not accurate at all. And as native people, do we need to be concerned about how AI is making these broad interpretations of who we are?
6: Absolutely. I mean, I, I've also played around, you know, with all of these different tools. And I, I asked the other day, I said to, to, um, chat GPT if it could define what indigenous meant and it said that everyone in the whole entire planet is indigenous and then it kind of said this Very vague and very positive view about like everyone is indigenous to the planet Earth And it was and I said, okay, well, what about Native American? And then it said yes the same everyone in, the, in America is Native American So it it, it had a total funda- fundamental misunderstanding of how maybe you and I would define those terms, right? Mm-hmm. and so we see a lot of bias there and also if you if I upload an image of myself into these systems as a seed and then ask it to do a portrait of myself in the style of a fashion photography, it, it makes me look very, very white and Western and blonde hair and blue eyes, right? It kind of automatically whitewashes a lot of people. And it's not just myself. Many of other, my other friends of color have noticed the same thing. Um, and so there's a lot of bias that are in these systems uh, because what they're training on is predominantly Western media. And so I, I Use the metaphor of a tree where if, if you were to plant a tree and to feed the tree water and that water had a contaminant in it, even if you were to say, at this moment, add more um, images of people of color, add more information about indigenous people, because it was created, the model was created off of by a biased data set, you can't correct it by just adding more information. So it let's say the tree is you know half of its life and now you start giving it water that's uncontaminated. The question would be, would you still eat an apple from that tree? And I hope the answer is no, because that's
2: you know it would
6: still be contaminated, right? And so that right now we need to really rethink the way we build these models. If we build these models, is is to make sure that from the beginning the training sets and the developers um, have a, a, a more intersectional view of the world. And I think that the only way they can have that is by including more indigenous people on their teams or having, um, you know, indigenous data sets, indigenous, datasets, indigenous uh, incredible cre- uh, creative technologists and, and computer scientists like we have on the call today to be a part of that. Right. And in that way, we can have um, we can make sure that those models from the beginning are not biased, but they're absolutely biased right now, especially if you ask some of the image generators to show you uh, an image generated of an indigenous person. It's very stereotypical imagery.
0: Well, Amelia, you really hammer that point home that AI is only as good as the data with which it is fed. And uh, there's also been some backlash by artists about these apps or these actual apps that you can go in and create artwork. And um, what they do is they use existing artwork, uh, you know, millions and millions of examples of paintings or other types of artwork, and then they allow the user to create new images uh through the app can you go over that issue for us in a little more detail why is it so controversial
6: i think there's a couple of reasons um i think for one a lot of people are starting to realize that they themselves are the trainers of these data sets, which actually has been true for a long time. Um, if, if you have ever used CAPTCHA to buy something where they say, can you see these letters, right? Or can you verify that this is a, three motorcycles? Or, you know, we've all kind of done that when you have to mm-hmm. check out or you have to log into something. We're actually training in AI. That's free labor that we're doing. And that's how ATM systems with Lacy in the, you know, early 2000s were at, um, able to, when you took a check and you put it into the ATM and it scans your handwriting and knows what numbers, that's actually from CAPTCHA data. So we've been training AI as humans without being paid, without knowing. The labor issue has just been it's, – it's been happening. And then who benefits is really the question, who benefits, right? So all of our images we're putting on DVNR, we're putting on our website, or we're uploading to these apps. Um, I think people started questioning, oh, I'm uploading my photo to this app. Is my photo now part of that training set? Yes, the answer is yes, but the answer is also <laughs> – That all those images you put on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter also are part of that, right? So you could opt out of not uploading your image to the app, but unless you don't have any images of yourself on the internet, there isn't a way of opting out, right? So all of the work that we've been doing to create this interesting and weird and strange and sometimes terrible place called the internet, all of that information is being used to train these models. And then the question is who benefits, right? And if, it's if, if the answer isn't all of us, <laughs>
2: then that's not, an,
6: an, a, that's not fair. I would say, right. Since we've done the labor to create a culture, um, we should all be benefiting from that work. Um, also recently, We've seen some articles come out around the very real human laborers that are uh, identifying, tagging and moderating these images so that you don't get um, inappropriate images back or you don't get um, violent images back. And those people are very low paid. And so there's a lot of really real human labor that is um, it's right now it's predominantly in people of color who are doing that labor and they're not getting paid very well to do it and again that question is who benefits right so if all of us are uploading our images to the web those images are being used to train and then people are being paid a very low amount to moderate that again the question is who benefits
0: okay uh we're listening to amelia winger bearskin and she's giving us a, a very very good overview of how ai is impacting uh the art world If you're a Native artist and you have any concerns about AI, give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us next from Montreal in Quebec, Canada is Professor Jason Edward Lewis. He's the University Research Chair in Computational Media and the Indigenous Future Imaginary at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. He's Hawaiian Samoan. Jason, welcome back to NAC.
7: Thank you, Sean. Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. Jason, this is a really fascinating conversation we're having today. What more do we need to understand about AI? Why is it important to you and your work specifically?
7: Well, I think Michael and Amelia did a really fantastic job of overviewing some of the really important points, uh, particularly as they relate to indigenous peoples and and our lives and our communities. Um, um, I think what I would add is part of what I'm focused on now and um, Uh, And with the people I'm working with, including Michael and Suzanne and hopefully uh, Amelia at some point, um, is thinking about how Indigenous knowledges differ from Western knowledges, meaning how do Indigenous people sort of see the world and understand the world differently than the sort of the dominant paradigm within the Western context in which most of this computational technology is made, even if it's made not in the West, it's coming from paradigms set. In the West. So, for instance, so what does it mean, uh, you know, to come from a community like, uh, like my community that has a particular way of thinking about our relationship to, the 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 creatures in the ocean, um, or the the volcanoes um, in the islands, um, and have particular ways of knowing about the world that are built around the relationships with uh, those different entities. So it's a question of, um, do you see the world, you know, for instance, do you see the world as a um, sort of a a resource, a set of resources to be exploited? And then the question becomes like, what sort of knowledge do you need to have in order to exploit them? Or do you see the world as a a set of relationships that need to be uh, tended to and sustained um, and maintained so that your, your seventh generations ahead of you, you know, uh, receive a world that is better off than, than, uh, than when you left it. So we're looking at um, this project called Abundant Intelligences, is the different ways in which Indigenous communities think about knowledge, generate knowledge, and then transmit that knowledge, um, and how, how might that kind of knowledge be useful within the, the field of, of artificial intelligence in expanding their notions of what intelligence is. And when I say useful, I want to be really careful in the sense that it's not about sort of offering up indigenous knowledges to be exploited by researchers in AI. A big part of what we're doing is we're trying to create relationships, uh, research relationships, community relationships that allow this work to proceed in a way that the first question is, is how is it going to benefit the communities that we're working in? And how do they want to protect their knowledge and protect their data so they get to use in a way that they are comfortable with?
0: Now Jason every time a new technology emerges there's always a learning curve and uh especially there's always concerns over the older generation and how they're going to be able to adapt and and what they're going to say with you know these new things these new developments so uh with regard to to native elders um how what is the the pulse there in terms of their thoughts and and their reaction to artificial intelligence, just some of the things we're talking about today and, and these ideas which could just so radically change life as we know it? You know, I can't
7: i can't say with any certainty what that pulse might be. Um, you know, there's, I have the, the elders and altar holders that I speak to, but they're just a really tiny slice. Um, you know, I do know from the previous work that we've done with, say, the Initiative for Indigenous Futures, which was really looking at, um, you know, how do Indigenous communities go about imagining you know, the kinds of features that we want for ourselves. But one of the things that really, you know, was really, a, a, to me, a little bit of a surprise, uh, but to other of my colleagues wasn't a surprise at all, is that when we were getting that project off the ground and and we, we actually did spend some time talking to elders and a number of different communities, particularly in the Haudenosaunee community, um, you know, they were actually some of the most enthusiastic supporters of this idea of, like, okay, let's imagine the future. Um, you know, my, the, what we heard from them was, was that um you know if we're not actively imagining what kind of futures we want to have for ourselves and for our children then then you know what's the point of all the struggle we're going through right now like we need to have that forward-looking sense while remaining really grounded in our traditions and so for me i think that you know some of the conversations we have had with uh, you know uh, sort of knowledge holders, so sort of you know, kind of very senior uh, members of a couple of different communities we work with, you know, is um, first of all there's, there's a sense of like recognizing the the beinghood of AI of this technology. Like to them, it makes total sense that we'd be thinking about, okay, what is what is AI as another being, and what kind of relationship. With- all right,
0: we're going to have to take a break. I'm sorry, Jason, but we'll be right back.
6: If you or someone you know is feeling sad, hopeless, or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call, text, or chat 988. 988 is a new three-digit dialing code for 24-7 emotional, mental, or substance misuse support. 988 connects you to free confidential support. You are not alone in a crisis. Just call, text, or chat 988. For more information, visit 988.nm.org.
0: This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about our indigenous relationships with artificial intelligence today. Still time to join our conversation. Do you have concerns about the future of AI? Do you see how tribes or creative people could use it in a productive way? Do you worry AI could also be used in a harmful way? We're at 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call to share your thoughts. Again, 1-800-996-2848. We're talking with Professor Jason Edward Lewis right now. And Jason, uh, before we went to break, you were just sharing so many insights. And one thing that's that's really apparent here coming through loud and clear is that there are just so many applications, potential applications for AI. It extends so far beyond art and music and, and writing. And I'm also interested in, in just how tribes and institutions or governments or just entities of any kind could can use AI on behalf of indigenous populations. What's your thought on that? Well, so I think
7: part of that is, uh, you know, what, again, what Michael and um, Amelia talked about is that that there needs to be really fun, kind of fundamental work done on how this technology is developed, how these models are trained, uh, because there's a lot of bad data in there. And there's also arguably some, you know, bad assumptions that are baked into the model about Again, what is intelligence? Like, what is an intelligent action in any particular context? And so, you know, part of what we need to do is, is get more Indigenous people, like the ones on this call, involved with designing and building the technology. It's a part of what's so exciting about Michael, you know, doing a PhD at McGill around this. Um, and so that we can build these technologies in the ways that we think that they should be built. You know, and uh, because there are lots of applications, there's amazing applications in health. You know, uh, where, you know, AI is proving to be really, really good at spotting certain kinds of disease, right, or certain kinds of cancer, like much better, you know, than, um, than human medical experts are. But then there's all kinds of complications within that medical data uh, because it's um, a lot of it is not necessarily the, the data is not gathered from populations that include Native people. Um, and so things that might be particular about particular native communities or large groups of native people are not actually really well represented in the data. And so that can lead to, you know, faulty diagnoses or bad diagnoses. Uh, Kealo Fox that San said, does some really great work thinking about these things. And um, um, uh, Crystal Tosi, who's now at the Arizona State University. So I think that, uh, and that there's things around sustainability. So, you know, our people's, Stories and other cultural practices. A lot of times, they embed a, a lot of information about the territory that we were on. And if we can figure out how to combine that information, you know, with the sorts of information that these AI systems can provide us about like really large scale trends or very very small things that happen on a very small scale, then it's, there's a the potential there to really help us, um, you know, better. Uh, take care of our territories and of our environment.
0: Jason, thank you for all that expanded information, great insights. Let's go to the phones now where we have Alex who is listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Alex, hello. Do you have any concerns about artificial intelligence?
7: Yes. Hi, Sean. Uh, I I do have a a lot of concerns. I just, I want to start with saying my, I'm not, I'm not native, but my daughter's Navajo. And I think about some of the, you know, the cultures uh, of folks that will be affected if we don't think about who's actually programming AI, you know, we, I think most people have watched that movie. A lot of people watch the movie, Megan, where the robot, the AI robot gets out of control. Well, mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, similar to, you know, what, what went on with social media, how, how people weren't representing us, the people who were programming the algorithms. So we really have to think about who's programming AI, what are their ethics and what are their values, because this thing is, is going to spin out of control really quick, like you saw with social media, uh, unless we know, unless the people that are programming it are kind of uh, beholden to the same ideas that we are in terms of ethics and priorities.
0: Alex, thank you for that call. A really good comment, good solid take on our IEI discussion today. Let's go ahead and bring in our our fourth guest today, who I think can also respond to what Alex's concerns are. Joining us now uh, from Bard College in New York City is Suzanne Kite. She is a research assistant for the Initiative for Indigenous Futures, and she's also an artist. Suzanne, uh, Alex makes a really interesting point, but I'm also thinking of other listeners that might be tuned into our show today, and they're probably thinking perhaps, oh, geez, AI, you know, for better or worse, this is going to be the future, and like previous technologies, it might not be perfect, it's going to change the world, though, so there's really no use stressing over it, we just better just kind of just not worry about it and just let things happen. Uh, is that the right attitude to have or should we be more concerned like Alex and really paying attention to who's programming AI and what some of these potential risks are?
8: Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I think that I always think about my work as an artist as both got to go at AI from a critical lens but also from a generative lens. You know I don't see I really don't see AI as much different from any of the other tools that um, our people have adopted or have invented over the years. Um, And I see that the goal for me is to figure out how my Lakota values can be um, embedded and um, generative in the creation of new, new technologies. Like I always turn to uh, the concepts that my grandfather Nagy, talked about in terms of stones and Lakota people have really good relationships with the stones and um, you know our relationships with stones I don't see as much different than our relationships with computers you know computers are built out of things mined from the ground from other in- territories of other indigenous peoples and uh, to me that the the concern is is what these things are being used for are they going my Lakota values don't teach me how to be a better capitalist and how to make more extractive things, um, so I don't think that um, I, I want to be building tools that, uh, that are extractive.
0: Okay. Hey, Suzanne, it's interesting uh, your thoughts there, and, and please tell us more. I mean, what do you think it means then to develop AI in, in a more ethical way, like the caller suggested?
8: Well, I think that um, it, it's, to me, I, I think about it as like a hyper-local um, activity. Like every, whenever we move from place to place, you know, the ethics change drastically. The the beings that are in each location are so different when I move, even from like town to town. Um, and, you know, um, Indigenous people all over the world have already have ways, really clear ways of making ethical relationships with non-human beings. We don't need to reinvent this wheel we already know how to do it very well and i think to me the making ethics is just continuing to apply our values when creating things and i think it's art uh, technology no matter what humans make each thing we make is a is the is a result of our relationships and collaborations with non-human beings in the physical world like stones and the you know, the materials that we're using to create something, even like a medicine pouch. You have to, you know, have a deer involved a relationship with those animals in order to make something, but also more importantly, non-human beings that are unseen and in the spiritual world. And that is, I think really important to me and to the elders that I've spoken to um, during all of my research and especially in my family. Okay. Well, You
0: know, Suzanne, we've talked earlier about some of these risks of AI, uh, the ability or or the potential for these data sets to exploit stereotypes or just the limiting nature of some of these data sets, perhaps not having access to to native data, Uh, the risk of art, uh, you know, losing that traditional connection to working with our hands and things like that. What are some other areas or issues that you think as Indigenous people, we should be a little bit hesitant or a little bit cautious regarding AI?
8: I think that we should be cautious of any tools that um, we are yet unable to, to create from ourselves, from the from the ground up. I think that um, right now it's impossible to do to work with these things ethically. Um, it, it, it truly is impossible. But I always remind myself that computers were just invented. They were just invented, and we and our our real tools, our real technologies, our our philosophies, and our spiritual practices that have been around for millennia. And so all we need to do is turn to those to create uh, and generate new concepts within um, within computation. And I think that those will become the things that lead to breakthroughs in ethics and relationships with non-human beings. So I think that when we look at, I don't have such a doom and gloom, uh, vision of AI, because I see uh, how capable we are of uh, creating um, good ethics and and applying those to anything we use.
0: You, you mentioned computers just created, uh, and it's fascinating to think about because the, the way they have just completely taken hold, in my own lifetime, uh, it just astounds me sometimes how much life has changed because of technology, because of computers, but you're absolutely right. In the grand scheme of things, it's such a relatively recent arrival, the technology of of computers and internet and everything else. And uh, so Suzanne, you stress uh, the benefits and you stress something uh, AI is is not something to be afraid of or or to be um, overly cautious about. And I'm interested in learning what other benefits do you see uh, associated with AI specifically for for tribal people, for for Native people, and, and I know you do some work with tribal sovereignty. And is there a connection there in any way between AI and, and what you see going on in so many Native communities?
8: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess to clarify, I don't really do work with tribal sovereignty, but um, I also want to clarify that I do think that we shouldn't we should be very cautious of every tool that's made by non by not our communities. And like the, the, my real concern is that um, we can't. I I would want to be able to physically use materials from my territory to create computational systems in the future, and that's my. Dream, and I hope in the next seven genera seven generations we can get there, um, and not have to mine and and take things from um, other countries and other indigenous people. Uh, But I think that uh, you know my goal is to see how these protocols um, and from our communities can be applied.
0: And what do you think uh, some possible solutions are in order to have? more input in some of these systems. I mean, Like you mentioned, we can't control it from the ground up. We can't create it. But what can we as Native people do to ensure that that we have more input, we have more say in how these algorithms work?
8: Well, I think, uh, you know, finding ways, I mean, I'm not an expert in uh, in data sovereignty, but data sovereignty is clearly extremely important in protecting our um, Indigenous intellectual property um, and our philosoph- philosophical property. And I think that when... We, when we're looking at these tools, I think that, of course, I want to see lots more Native people in um, building capacity uh, in, in, in all industries, um, especially in art. Like, I'm an artist. Um, I love collaborating with uh, people who are better at technology than me. And I just hope that, um, you know, we can uplift uh, artists who use technology and who don't use technology um, along, along this path.
0: Well, it's interesting because as an artist, and, and we talked earlier about these apps that allow just anybody, a non-artist, to, to input some information and, and, and produce some sort of a, a finished-looking piece of art. Um, what's your thought on that, Suzanne? And I, I mean, as an artist yourself, does that concern you, or is it something that uh, you would like to see more, more control over, especially with regard to, to the ownership and the copyrights and, and how artists are compensated?
8: Yeah, I think the copyright stuff is. I think we're, we'll just have to see some laws put in place about um, what is what is owned and and where um, data is coming from um, with these apps. I, I think that is going to be probably um, something that comes soon. But I I'm I'm not very concerned about about the. It's just another tool. I mean, just like Amelia was talking about there, uh, you can't do the things that or maybe we were just not there yet. I mean, people were really up, up in arms about drum machines, you know, when, when kind of electronic music came out, but, you know, it just became its own genre, its own medium. And there are definitely skill levels. Um, uh, Some of the art that comes out of AI is really interesting and beautiful. Um, But, you know, when it comes to like, actually um, making art, again, I, my, my definition of art is collaborations between non-humans and the, physical world and then the non-physical world and so the tools by which you do those communications that's I feel like an individual choice a spiritual choice so you know I'm a composer mostly and so I'm always trying to figure out ways that the computer can help me listen more deeply to um to anything to myself to it how we could me and the computer can listen together so um I think that we're just at the beginning of the exploration of what this tool can do
0: I like your definition of of art, a collaboration between between human and and like a non-human type of medium. And another concern, we just have about another minute before we have to wrap up, Suzanne, but there's this also concern that at some point AI and other forms of technology are just going to make us as human beings obsolete. And, and, you know, we won't have any jobs to do because computers are going to do everything and not just art, but everything is just going to be. I mean, at some point, there'll be an app or an AI application that can host a radio show and I won't have a job anymore. And what's your thought on that going forward? I mean, do you think at some point we'll have this takeover of machines and robots like we see in some of these sci-fi films?
8: I mean, I I don't I don't think so, actually, but I think that uh, I would be happy if there were lots of. Uh, technologies that helped us eliminate having to do so much labor. Like if we had less time to do labor, more time to spend time with our families and working on gifts for giveaways and beading and doing family events and taking care of our elders, that's great. I don't, I don't dream of doing labor. I dream of rest with my, with my family. Um, And that would be great, but I don't see at any point wanting to buy beadwork made, by um, a machine. I wanna feel the artist's hand and I I want to hold um, a pouch that's been made with love and care and dreams. So, you know, that's, that's, I I don't see that going away.
0: Well, folks, we're gonna have to wrap up our discussion on artificial intelligence today. I wanna thank our guests, Michael Running Wolf, Amelia Winger Bearskin, Professor Jason Edward Lewis and Suzanne Kite for sharing their time and expertise. Join us tomorrow for a discussion about a study that documents what researchers say is over-incarceration of Native Americans. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce.
4: Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Support for law and justice related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean and Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at hobbsstrauss.com. This month and every month, remember one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBP control. This support provided in partnership with HHS OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228.